0: 2001. The terrorist group Al-Qaeda conducts a series of four terrorist attacks on September 11th across the United States, killing nearly 3,000 people. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway. Both twin towers fall. 2005. The 7-7 bombing takes place in London where suicide bombers targeted commuters using public transit during the morning rush. 52 were killed. There have been reports of an explosion outside Liverpool Street Station, that, of course, in the east end of London. 2012, Sandy Hook Elementary becomes the site of the largest school shooting in U.S. history as 20 children between the ages of 6 and 7 are gunned down. 18
1: children died in the school, were dead on the scene. Two more were taken to the hospital and died there.
0: Warriors lose in NBA finals. Wait a minute here. Wait, what's going on? But it comes at the hands of the Toronto Raptors. We the North are now we the champions. Raptors fans cheered when Kevin Durant suffered a ruptured Achilles. The Raptors! The 2019 NBA Champs! Oh, okay. I see. They're such scumbags, all of them. These are just some. Of the greatest tragedies of my lifetime. He's as thorough and professional as you have. Presented in chronological order on the Fear the Fro podcast. When tragedy like this strikes, all the social divides we have in this country disappear. God bless each and every one of you, and may we never experience such sadness again. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. What an uplifting pre open. I know I'm late to the party. The Toronto Raptors are humbled party, but I'm here. And that's the important part. I took an ill-timed vacation. You might say it was reminiscent of Justin Rowan, of the chase down podcast going on his Mexican uh, hiatus in a week in which we had what five games and seven nights, seven victories in a row. Now you can formulate your podcast travel theories as it were, but I will say this. I went on a vacation, and the Cavs dropped two of three. Justin Rowan went on a vacation, and the Cavs won seven in a row. If ever there was a reason to support the Chasetown podcast monetarily, it would be to embolden Justin to jet-set around the world so that the Cavaliers never lose another game. Me, on the other hand, should probably be locked in this basement, speaking to the wall for the rest of time. But back to the Raptors. Whilst visiting my childhood home and my elderly mother and my niece, who's named Kyrie, by the way, my sister, I should never speak to her again after that transgression. She did spell it differently, so I'll give her credit. But just the fact I have to utter the name Kyrie and say it with love is disgusting. But I mopped the floor with her three games in a row in shoots and ladders. So at least passive aggressively, I was able to work out some of my aggression towards the name Kyrie. And that child hit every shoot on the way up. It was just a series of catastrophes strung back to back. It looked like a scissor reel of Gary Trent Jr. jumpers. Just one horrific blunder after another. But back to the childhood home, I went. One that sits in the shadow of inferior basketball of the Toronto Raptors. See, when I was a child, the Raptors didn't exist. The Cleveland Cavaliers were the closest team to my hometown of Buffalo. And on the way to visit my grandparents, who lived in Michigan several times, we would stop at the Richfield Coliseum. We would stop at various stores across Cleveland to purchase my Cavalier paraphernalia, because believe it or not, Buffalo was not a hotbed for Cavalier support, as it were. And then at some point, the NBA decided to expand into Canada. The Vancouver Grizzlies failed quickly. They are now in Memphis, as you all know. The Toronto Raptors, though, simply will not die. Their fan base is insufferable. The commentary around OG Ananobi and Scottie Barnes is insufferable. Hell, even the commentary around Siakam is very difficult to take. And over the course of my time as a fan, people have asked me, generally, one of two things. Why aren't you a Knicks fan? Well, because I hate the Knicks. Why aren't you a Raptors fan? Well, because they didn't even exist. They're new money. They come into a blue-collar city like Buffalo and they say, Hey, we've got basketball just over the border. Stick to fucking gambling. Don't come into Buffalo and say, Oh, no, we're just here. We're all friends. you like the bare-naked ladies here, right? No. Stay on your fucking side of the border. Spelling center the wrong way. It's E-R, you Now, I'm not going to pretend I completely understand why we chose cavalier it's some sort of feather capped musketeer something i don't know but at least we didn't name our team after some movie reference of the time oh we should pick a dinosaur the the raptors did you let make a wish kid name your team what's next the fucking vancouver cocaine bears so i disdain going home and having anybody even utter the words why aren't you a raptors fan And after three victories, I was on the brink of swallowing a bullet. But all of that is wiped out. Because after hammering that squad with a 25-point victory, one in which the Cavaliers outscored the Raptors every step of the way, one in which the Cavaliers put their foot on their throat early and poured it on in the second quarter, in the third quarter, even in garbage time, holding the Raptors to a mere 17 points in the fourth quarter. At one point, the Cavaliers possessed a 30-point lead. Well, the season series is over. And what did we witness Sunday? Well, it was the culmination of what every other team in the NBA seemingly has seen as they've kicked through the Raptors again and again. Now, we hadn't seen it because when we played the Raptors, they made any and everything from outside. In the first three games this season, the Raptors shot 46% from outside the arc. They had 13 threes the first game, 12 threes the second game, 19 threes in the victory at Cleveland back at the end of December, right before Christmas. That all changed this last game as they made just nine of their 25 three point attempts, shooting 36%. Still above their season average, may I point out. A team who is 27th in the NBA in three point shooting, shooting just 33.5% from outside the arc. That is not a team that should be winning games on the strength of their outside shooting. But falling prey to outlier performances from distance is not a narrative unfamiliar to Cavs fans this season. That is the issue that we faced in the first three games. However, the Cavs, when they took on the Toronto Raptors this season, were atrocious. In the loss in late November, they were 7 for 38 from outside the arc. That's 18% from three, 28% from three-point land over the course of those first three matchups. However, this matchup, 50% from range, 18 for 36, doubling up their efficiency from those first three games of the season. And that was a big factor here. The other factor, fast break points. In the first three games against these Toronto Raptors, they outscored the Cavs 22-12 to in the fast break. But in this ass-kicking, the Cavaliers went 23-6 to in favor of the good guys to take advantage of getting out in fast break. None prettier than Jared Allen skying for one-handed dunks in transition, or perhaps Isaac Okoro positioning a coast-to-coast transition layup, which was goaltended tended right between a beautiful bookend of corner threes. So what was more impressive? Was it the incredible start from our backcourt who made their first five three-point attempts in the first quarter, could not miss from outside the arc, or was it the second and third quarters of Donovan Mitchell where he led the way 13 points in the second quarter and then another 13 points in the third quarter or was the most impressive thing that it took less than a quarter for the Raptors to just lose all composure and accrue multiple technical fouls one from Nick Nurse one from Scotty Barnes for waving off an obvious foul trying to run through a Jared Allen screen you know what let's hit the audio on that shall we Barnes is going to get called for the foul, Derek Collins, and a technical on Scotty Barnes for waving his right arm at the veteran official, Derek Collins. Waving your arm at an official? They're doing their best out there. How classless. What a lack of composure. You know who doesn't show a lack of composure, seemingly in any situation? Never rattled. Just consistent as the sun coming up in the morning. That would be Zoom, our video conferencing part. No, I'm I'm fucking with you. I still don't have sponsors. That's not happening. Evan Mobley. When all was said and done at the end of this game, Evan, 18 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, shot 50% from the floor, even banged down a couple of threes. A man who had the luxury of being able to take six attempts from outside because we were blowing out this team. And what did it matter? Miss as many as you want. They're not digging out of a 30-point hole. Now, I have zero data to back this up aside from a quick look at the stats, but I believe there might be a correlation between the volume of three-point attempts taken by Evan Mobley and the respectability of the team. Six is by far the most three-point attempts taken by Evan Mobley this season, and the Toronto Raptors are by far the least respectable opponent. Now it's a tenuous theory because his second most three-point attempts, it's a three-way tie between the Nuggets, the Sixers, and the Bulls, and at least two of those teams are good. But I don't like that it doesn't support my theory, so I have ruled those games as invalid. You can accept my theory at face value because it's fun and it disrespects the Toronto Raptors, or you can choose to turn to the data in the numbers like a fucking nerd so back to the game what about scotty barnes the rookie of the year fraud the man who outshined evan mobley last season or so i was told well he shot just five for 13 sub 40 percent. jay crowder territory didn't make a single three-pointer had a meager 12 points three rebounds five assists minus 15 by the way I'm told that plus minus is the true assessment of a player. So 22 for Evan Mobley to negative 15 for Scotty Barnes. But hey, there's one category that Evan can't rival Scotty Barnes in, and that's entitlement based temper tantrums. That's at least three or four to nothing in favor of Barnes. What a satisfying night, though, as a Cavalier fan to watch two teams officiated the same way and what would transpire in that situation, because OG Ananobi, for being called the defensive stopper that he was, couldn't do a goddamn thing with Donovan Mitchell tonight. And Darius Garland, by and large, got to where he wanted to get to as well. But beyond that, you had multiple plays where OG or Scotty Barnes or Siakam tried to just shoulder butt and physical their way into baskets, but there was a lid on the rim. They could not convert anything around the rim, and we saw multiple instances of Donovan Mitchell just humiliating Gary Trent Jr., banking in a three-pointer against Scotty Barnes. It was not their night. The guards had their way. The Raptors could not make anything from outside. And the whole four quarters just felt like a slow march towards humiliation. Now, I will say, a couple of people I think deserve flowers in this game. Jeff Downton Jr., I actually thought was pretty solid. Five first quarter points, finished with only seven on the night. But in that first shift off the bench before things got out of hand, I like his size, his frame. Not a bad player. And Boucher, very good on the offensive glass, created some second chance points, five offensive rebounds. It's not often that the Cavaliers get out-rebounded on the offensive glass, but the Raptors finished with 13. To the Cavaliers, eight, they just couldn't shoot to save their lives and too many first half turnovers before things really got out of hand. So once that started happening, it became apparent that the only thing the Raptors could hope to do was bully their way into some mid-range shots and with little to no success from Scotty Barnes, from OG Ananobi, and a fairly inefficient evening from Pascal Siakam, in which I think he got a little bit too fixated on trying to draw whistles instead of just playing basketball, but them's the breaks. We're coming off a victory. Gone are the games against the Nuggets and the Hawks. I shall not speak of them. Here to stay is a one-game winning streak. Here to stay is a matchup against the Boston Celtics on the horizon. But I need to address one more thing from a large proponent of the Boston Celtics, and that is comments uttered on the Bill Simmons podcast. Let's just get right to it. In a discussion about the NBA's surprise stories and the storylines they liked the best he was joined by david jacoby speaking about of all things the new york knicks when this was said by a one bill simmons
1: i think a lot of people would have mitchell as as first team or second team and i personally would not i admit i'm a bit surprised but let's hear the reasoning i i think that team has really struggled in the last five minutes of games there's all these advanced stats about what their record should be versus what it is I think part of the problem is I don't think he's been that great for them in crunch time since the first couple weeks.
0: Now let's stop there and take a look at this because I'm not entirely certain. I know there's some data that supports what Bill's saying in scenarios where it's five or less points, the lead is, and it's in the final five minutes of the game. But I think most of us who watch the Cavs can acknowledge that Donovan Mitchell typically gets stronger over the course of the game. And that's evidenced by so So many examples. Now, you can nitpick his efficiency in clutch situations. Certainly, there is validity to the idea that he is not nearly as efficient as he has been over the course of the season, but the volume and the amount of scoring is still far beyond that of Jalen Brown or Drew Holiday. And it should be because he's the primary creator. He is where all the attention of the defense will go, whereas the other two players thrive in secondary roles, to Jason Tatum and Giannis, two of the best players in the NBA. So this isn't an apples-to-apples comparison. Donovan Mitchell, while 12th in the NBA in clutch scoring with 93 points, is shooting just 39-32 splits. Now, the other guys he alluded to in this conversation about, oh, I'd probably put Jalen Brown or Drew Holiday over him. Both those guys at 28th in the NBA in clutch scoring. 65 points apiece. Still very respectable. And Drew is uber-efficient in clutch time. 51% from the floor, 50% from three. Jalen Brown, however, 42-31 splits. Just a tick above the 39-32 splits of Donovan Mitchell. However, again, are we going to hinge an all-NBA argument on this notion that these guys are more efficient as secondary options to two arguable first-team All-NBA players and say, well, that would put them over Donovan Mitchell. What are we doing here? It's like comparing the field goal percentage of Mitchell Robinson to that of Jalen Brunson and saying that Mitchell's efficiency is more impressive. It's not. Jalen Brunson has been phenomenal, second in clutch scoring on 50-40 splits. Is that more impressive than what Mitchell Robinson is doing? abso fucking Donovan Mitchell is the primary offensive option. Now let's stop there because I'm not sure entirely what Bill Simmons has seen. I have to assume it's those numbers though, because if you're going to shift to any type of cumulative metric, that falls greatly in Donovan Mitchell's favor, as it should. Take the crowning jewel for Donovan Mitchell on the season so far, his 71-point game. Now, most of you recall the specifics of that game. The Cavaliers found themselves down by 21 to the Bulls in the second half, and Donovan Mitchell scored 58 of his 71 points after halftime. This wasn't Damian Lillard dropping 71 on a shitty Rockets team with most of that coming in the early portion of the game. By halftime, Lillard had 41 points, but the team was already leading by 15. Those 71 points are not created equal. No shade on Lillard. He did it all in regulation. That is impressive in and of its own right. But Donovan Mitchell had to dig out of a 21-point hole. He had a team fighting to stop him from doing what he inevitably did. The Rockets are just playing out the stretch until they can hopefully win the lottery. This was massive hole. Donovan puts the team on his back, digs them out, and in the process delivers a perfect four for four overtime, three for three from beyond the arc, and in fourth quarter, and OT does not log a single turnover. Now a lot of those 58 points will not fall within the NBA's definition of clutch situations, but you tell me how many players in that same scenario could do what Donovan Mitchell did there? Could Drew Holiday do that? Could Jalen Brown do that? I'm a huge. Drew Holiday fan. And I think it's plain as day that the answer is no. And that entire discussion took place without even bringing up how Donovan Mitchell sent the Bulls game to overtime by rebounding his own intentional miss and making the basket to send the game to OT. Do those two points count for the same in clutch stats as a jumper that comes on an open look created by a double team on Giannis? Yes, they do. Should they count as the same level of importance in a discussion about who's more clutch than who? No, they should not. But it's not just the Bulls game. Let's look at recent history, an area where Bill Simmons said Donovan Mitchell is lacking. Less than two weeks ago, heading into the All-Star break, the Cavaliers take on the Philadelphia 76ers, trying to take the three C, a game that they ultimately lost. And Donovan Mitchell, in the second half, Against the Philadelphia 76ers, he scored 25 of his 33 points after that halftime break. In the second half, when the Cavaliers had their comeback, he shot 8 for 13, had zero turnovers, and scored 25 points. Now, do you know how many of those points fall into the NBA clutch definition? Zero. The Cavaliers cut the lead to four points with a minute and a half left. On a Jared Allen putback layup, but from there, it never went below five. Should we dismiss all 25 of those points because ultimately the Cavs could not claw back from 28 down and managed to only cut the lead to four? Maybe to Bill Simmons. Now, me personally, taking a team from a 30 point blowout to a two possession game while leading the team in scoring, assists, steals, blocks, all with no turnovers. To me, that's exceptionally impressive. Dare I say, clutch. But by the technical NBA.com definition, it is not. It's non-existent. Even if you want to say, well, that doesn't tell the whole story. Those are just two isolated games. Okay, his highest scoring quarter this season has been the fourth quarter. The Cavaliers, as a team, have the highest net rating in the fourth quarter in the NBA, a 93 They are ahead of the Sacramento Kings. So, yeah, you can say that's impacted by blowouts. That would increase that number. What does that say about the Cavs' ability to close? If they're winning games by 15 or 20, and that somehow skewed the fact that the Cavaliers have the best point differential in fourth quarters this season, what's the problem here? I think the reality is that Simmons is attributing a disproportionate amount of the credit for how the Bucs and the Celtics, both veteran teams, by the way, perform in close games to Holiday and Jalen Brown. And he's assessing too much of the blame to Donovan Mitchell on how a team with five starters all below the age of 26 have performed in those similar high-pressure situations. Most of the time, when the Cavs lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to, it's because they've got shot out of the arena by teams that have no place doing it. The Golden State Warriors game comes to mind. But I definitely push back on this notion that it falls at the feet of Donovan Mitchell. Are we going to look at the Cavs and expect them, a team that was just assembled this season, to compare to a team that was in the NBA Finals last year and an NBA champion from two seasons ago? Two teams with extreme continuity. Simmons went on to say the following.
1: I don't know. Mitchell to me is like, I think people have him a hundred percent in pen as a first team or second team all NBA. I have him third team right now. I have holiday over him because I think holiday has been more impactful. And to me, it really matters that, but the bucks and Celtics are the two best teams. And I think one of those two teams should have uh two all NBA guys. You could argue Boston Jalen was in there, but I think he's probably fallen out, got injured. I don't think statistically he hasn't been as good, but um. I would have Drew over Mitchell right now.
0: I mean, that's an opinion. It's subjective, but I mean, honestly, this is why people bitch and moan about who gets to vote. Essentially, what I'm being told is that a player who is the second option on a team with a two-time MVP that has won an NBA championship that only holds a six-game advantage over a team with five starters below the age of 26, a superstar who has played less than a full season with that squad, and who is vastly outproducing him in all the counting stats, that guy should be lower in all NBA votes than Drew Holiday or Jalen Brown? I don't buy it. And that's to say nothing of what Donovan Mitchell has done against the Bucs this season, where he's averaged 30 points, where he's shot 38% from three. Do you know what Drew Holiday has done against the Cavs this season? Take Donovan Mitchell's 30 points a game, and then cut it in half. That's right, 15 points a game, shooting 37% from the field and 25% from three. Should we hold that against him? How about the fact that in the fourth quarter against the Cavs, over three games, he has scored just nine points, shooting 20% from the floor and 0% from three, as opposed to Donovan Mitchell, who has dropped 22 points, shooting 60% from outside the arc. That is a head-to-head matchup between these guys we will be discussing. And what about Jalen Brown? Well, Donovan Mitchell, in two games against the Celtics this season, has averaged 33 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds, shooting 50-44 splits. 100 from the free throw strike, by the way. Jalen, he has averaged 31 points a game, shooting 44-29 splits. Very good. No shade towards Jalen. But Donovan Mitchell has outperformed them head-to-head, he's outperformed them in counting stats, he has outperformed them in efficiency, and the only area in which you can hang your hat on Donovan Mitchell is not as good as those guys in the clutch, is if you focus on field goal percentage. Not on volume, not on degree of difficulty, not on commensurate roles within an offense, because neither guy is the primary focus, whereas Donovan Mitchell absolutely is but on field goal percentage when the game is within five points with less than five minutes left. If that's how you make your all NBA decisions, then who am I to dissuade you? I don't know, but that wasn't even the most outlandish thing said on that podcast. David Jacoby talked about how the Knicks might be better off with RJ Barrett and Brunson than Brunson and Donovan Mitchell. I would not want (laughs) Brunson and Mitchell as my backcourt. You know, I think, I think a, a Brunson and Barrett is a better combination. Not, not, I mean, obviously Mitchell's better than Barrett, but just, you, you don't, it's too redundant to have Brunson and Mitchell and Brunson has been absolutely amazing for the Knicks and they do have more flexibility moving forward for free agents and trades and whatnot. Like I think, I think that um, Mitchell not being on the Knicks was a win-win for both the Cavs and the Knicks. Now, I left as much of that in as I could for context, because if you're factoring in financial flexibility in the future and still having the picks, well then sure, that's debatable. But any idea that Brunson and Mitchell is somehow worse for the Knicks than Brunson and Barrett is is silly. You only have to look so far as this Cavaliers team to see that despite having Darius Garland, an all-star player alongside of him, they have coexisted brilliantly. And The defense hasn't even suffered. So this idea that Mitchell couldn't compliment Brunson perhaps even better, I don't agree with it. I mean, the New York love has just gotten out of hand. I know they're having a very good run here. They've won six in a row. They're right on the heels of the Cavs for the four seed. But let's attribute that where it deserves to be attributed. Jalen Brunson, he's the big difference between this year and and last year and the idea that they couldn't be even better if they had both Brunson and Mitchell cuz it wasn't in either or as they pointed out there they could have both guys then Brunson and RJ Barrett count me amongst the people who don't buy it and fortunately there was one voice of reason on that podcast and that was House who pushed back on the Donovan Mitchell slander i mean the old they have more flexibility going forward argument when Donovan fucking Mitchell is staring you in the face that's one that's that one's a tough one for me To agree with, uh, I would absolutely have preferred Donovan Mitchell if I was a Knicks fan. Amen. Amen, house. At least one person had a viewpoint I can wrap my head around. So yeah, that's enough hate. I needed to drum up something to be outraged about. And what better than a lifelong Celtics fan having the opinion that Jalen Brown has outperformed Donovan Mitchell this season? I don't know why I'm acting shocked. And yet here we are. The Raptors are behind us. We've moved on. We have a very difficult game against the Boston Celtics ahead of us, but a chance to get just a little bit closer to the Sixers, who are now two games up in the standings, and I want to thank everybody for sticking with me. I know I missed three games during my little travel to see the Fear the Fro family, but for those of you who have returned, who have resumed the Fear the Fro podcast journey, I am grateful. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed. Thank you to all of you who have left ratings, who have left reviews. There's been some doozies. Oh, and a congratulations to Carter Rodriguez of the Chase Down Podcast, a new addition to the Cavs fan family. So that is what I like to see. I will disparage our enemies, and Carter will add to our ranks. I am Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio at Fear the Fro Pod on Twitter. We will be back with more Fear the Fro. Lebat Blue tastes like piss. Fuck off, Canada. Sliver, lots <laughs> of This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy Bob Schmidt always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.